I'm going to be reading out of 1 John this morning. 1 John, not the, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. That's over toward the end of your Bible. If you get over to Revelation and flip back a few short books, you should, you should be able to find 1 John. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 and the uh, first uh, seven verses, actually. So 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse uh, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or know Him. Dear children, do not allow, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as He is righteous. It's the Word of God for the people of God. So this is one of the one of the more difficult passages of scripture that I've that I've that I've studied over at least within the last year or so. It's certainly one of the one of the harder ones that I've had to preach on. Because there's uh there's I think you guys will agree those uh, what we just read is kind of clear as mud in spots, right? There's uh there's some there's some confusing language in there, I think, especially towards once you get toward the end and start looking at verses four, five, and six, there's some there's some stuff in there that's kind of probably gonna alarm some of us. Uh, particularly that spot where it talks about anyone who continues to sin or anyone who continues to live in Him will not sin, but anyone who keeps sinning does not know Him. What does that mean? Does it mean we're not saved if, we're, if we continue to sin? I certainly hope not. Or else I think I'm probably going to be in a lot of trouble. <clears throat> so yeah, there's some confusing stuff in there. And, and uh, what I want to do with, with you real quick is I want to read this to you from a different translation of the Bible. I'm going to read it to you from the message translation, which you guys know of, have used on a number of occasions. Uh, not, because, not necessarily because it's more modern language or, or simpler language even, but I think in this, in this case, uh, this particular translation kind of uh, clarifies the language for us and kind of clarifies the meaning for us in, in certain spots. If you get a chance, if you get a chance to go back and look, because again, I know this is, this is some confusing um, it's confusing wording, particularly in, these, in today's scripture. If you get a chance, go back and read this version from the message on your own. And that's something I want to mention to you real quick, too. Take, I'll take about two or three minutes talking to you about Bible translations. Look up scripture because, because particularly if you're using some older, verse, older pieces of scripture, King James Version, I don't even use a King James Version myself because even, even I think that language is old and confusing for one thing. But there are a number of great translations out there um, that, that, can serve, that can serve to help clarify what we're reading in the Bible. If, it, if, if, if the particular translation that we're, that we're generally using maybe is a little bit confusing to us. Um, there's basically two different kinds of Bible translations. One of them would be a word-for-word -word translation, and that's exactly what it sounds like. It is, it is scholarly, scholars attempting 
uh, within their best ability, using all kinds of sources, to recreate word for word uh, from the original biblical text. Not from the original Bible here. Not building off of another Bible, but from the original text. So they're trying to recreate modern language from Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic languages. That, those would be like your King James Bibles. There's one called the uh, English Standard Version that would be on that end. The other end of the spectrum would be Bibles that are more or less thought for thought. And that's exactly what it sounds like as well. They're trying to convey the idea more than they are trying to sit down and write a word-for-word -word recreation of these, of these Bibles. Uh, on that end would be the message or the New Living Translation. And certainly there's stuff that's kind of, that kind of is a combination of both. The one that you got sitting in front of you, the NIV, is kind of a combination of both. So anyway, again, I'll just tell you guys that to, uh, when you're reading the Bible, it can be confusing. And, and, if, and if, you, if you are confused or if it's, not, if it's clear as mud, I would encourage you to break out or to try out some more translations. And you ain't got to go out there and spend, and spend hundreds of dollars doing this. You can download, uh, there's a number of Bible apps that you can download to your phone that's got every possible translation you can think of. Uh, one of them is called Bible Gateway, and it's absolutely free. The other one that I can think of is called YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version, and it's, again, absolutely free. But having told you guys all that, let me read to you this scripture out of the message. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God because that's what we really are. That's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously because it has no idea who He is or what He's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are. We are children of God, and that's only the beginning. Who knows how we, will win the, how we will end up. What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we will see Him, and in seeing Him, we will become like Him. All of us who look forward to His coming stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. All who indulge, and here's the part that's... Uh, about sin, and it's probably confusing some of us. All who indulge in a sinful lifestyle are dangerously lawless, for sin is a major disruption of God's order. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. There is no sin in Him, and sin is not a part of the program, or it's not a part of His program. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. Now there I think it definitely clarifies this for us just a little bit better, as we're using, using that simple word, practice. And I'm going to get deeper into this in a minute. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who do not practice sin have taken a good look of Christ. They get him all backwards. So, dear brothers and children, or dear children, don't let anyone divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right, who is right, just as we see it lived out in our righteous and promised Messiah. And I know I breezed through that, but again... It clarifies it a little bit better than I think, and we're going to get into it a little deeper here in just a second. First John was an interesting book. It's a very interesting book, and it's a very short book for a number of reasons. Um, just a little bit of background about First John. Um, traditionally, uh, the church has believed that John, the author of the Gospel of John, John the Apostle, the one that we, the one that we think about, uh, was the author of this book. Now, some people have contrasted that, and, and uh, they, they point to a possibility of other authors. I tend to believe that John authored 1 John as well for a number of reasons. There's a lot. If you read the Gospel of John, if you read Revelation, you read 2 and 3 John, there's a lot of similar language in there, and there's, there's a lot of um, uh, similar wording, and there's also a lot of very, very similar themes in here. And one of the major themes of John, of the author John, and all of, these, all of these books that are attributed to his authorship, one of the biggest themes you're going to find in there is the theme of love. 
again, whether it's the Gospel of John that we think of, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or if it's in the text that we're studying today, you are going to find John talking about love, and he's going to be talking about love a lot. God's love for humanity, our love for God, our love for one another. This book in particular, as short as it is, is absolutely saturated with the idea of love. Another thing is that it kind of reads almost like a sermon. We read it, and, it, and, it, and to a degree, we might think of this as a letter, and it very well may have been, kind of like, like Paul's letters to the various churches. But it also kind of reads like a sermon, which is, which is pretty interesting, too, kind of similar to the book of Hebrews, uh, which also kind of has a, a similar feeling to it. But anyway, uh, there's a number of issues in the, that the author is particularly addressing in this short book of 1 John. The main thing that he's addressing is he is addressing um, a group of Christians, or he's writing it to a group of Christians, um, after another group of Christians has broken off from their group. There was another group of what we would call unorthodox or untraditional Christians who had broken off from the uh, readers of this, of this letter or the sermon that John's writing. And the reason they had broken off is they believed that they were they were they were they were they, they believed in some false teachings and they were therefore teaching some false teachings. Number one false teaching was that they were preaching that Jesus Christ was not divine. They were preaching that but they believed that Jesus was not the incarnate, what we call the incarnate Son of God on earth. He was not God on earth. There was no divinity to him. He was a human being and a human being only. Of course, that's not what we believe. We believe that Christ was fully man and fully human at the same time. They just believed that he was a, a, a person, a great person, a prophet, a great teacher, but nonetheless only a human. Another thing that they believed is they had a very, very skewed idea of what, the, of what love was. And we're not going to talk about that, but if you want to back up uh, maybe a chapter or so, what you'll see is they had a really messed up idea about what, what, it, what it meant to love your brother and sister, your brother and sister in Christ, um, or better yet, how not to love your brother and sister in Christ. And uh, last, last but certainly not least, they, um, they believed that they were sinless. They believed that they had no sin in their lives. So they, uh, they, they preached, they, they believed once again that, that, that God was human and human only. They believed that they were absolutely sinless and, and, uh, and, and, and the, um, that Christ, Christ was only a good man and uh, that they had a really messed up idea about what love was. So the author, what he does is he, when he's writing these is he's correcting all these false teachings. And in so doing, he kind of gives us the primar primary message of the book to clarify who Christ is, to clarify these ideas of, of what love is and who Jesus Christ was. Uh, he wants to preach and he wants to let us know, he wants the readers of this letter to let us know that Christ is God in human form, that he's come to do three things. He has come to disclose the truth about God. He has come to deal with the world's sins and to provide an example of Christian living. That's what the author is trying to drive home here in 1 John. He wants to let us know exactly who Jesus Christ is. He wants to know why he's come, which is to disclose the truth about God, to fix our sin problem, and to give us an example of what it looks like to live as Christians on earth. So the one thing that I'll, first thing I want to point out to you um, comes right there from uh, verse 1, and it's a subject we've talked about before. We, we may have even talked about this subject numerous times. Um, but it's, it's just one of those things I don't think that we can drive home enough. Let me reread verse 1 real quick for you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. If you guys don't get anything over the next few minutes, if you don't get nothing else from my sermon today, I want you all to take what I'm about to say and I want you all to absorb every word of it. I want you guys to take this to heart. I want, you to, I want you to soak it up within every fiber of your being because I cannot preach this and I cannot teach this enough what we get from this scripture. And that is who we are. More so than just who we are, it tells us why we are worthy. It tells us where we get our value from and where we get our identities from. And I want you to go home today and I want you to live your life grounded on what we discover right here in this first verse. If nothing else, and we're going to talk about some pretty good stuff today, I think. But if you don't get anything else, I want you to take this out of these doors and live your life grounded on this idea that we find right here in this first verse. Because our worth, our value, our identity, our dignity... These things are not found in who we are. They're not found in who in what we do. They're not found in what we can or we can't accomplish. They're not found on how much money we have or how much money we don't have. They're not found on what our family name is. They're not found on where we come from or any other such nonsense that our culture and that other people want to use to make us believe that give us our worth, our value, and our dignity. Scripture is very clear right here in this first verse in 1 John 3, as well as numerous dozens, if not hundreds of other places throughout Scripture. Our value, our worthiness, our self-worth is based on the fact that God loves us. Period. Period. Nothing else gives us dignity. Nothing else gives us worthiness or value other than the fact that God, we are a people who are created and loved by God. He calls us what in these verses? Children of God. And that it's a God who loves us by a measure that none of us can possibly fathom in this lifetime. And I want you to live by that. And I want you to take that home and live the rest of your lives with that knowledge. These three sitting in this pew, they don't, they don't think that I listen to what they say a lot, probably. But I do. I don't talk a whole lot, but I, but I listen to them. And I'm going to tell you, it breaks my heart when I hear Sandy come home, when I hear Parker come home, and now when I hear Aaron come home. It breaks my heart to hear them talk about the way kids are treating each other in our schools. It kills me. And I'm not just talking about surface level picking on folks or bullying. I'm talking about really deep stuff. I'm talking about these kids who are picking on one another relentlessly because they don't look a certain way, because they don't dress a certain way, they don't act a certain way. They mock these ideas. They mock one another. And again, they do it relentlessly because of these things. Because why? Because it's these things that they are using to measure the worth and the value and the dignity of each other. But let's make no mistake about it. We can talk about how horrible that is, how awful that is, and it is awful. 
we could sit up here in, in our comfortable pews and, and talk about how atrocious that is. But let's be honest. Our adults much different a lot of times. How do we choose our friends? How do we, on what basis do we value other people? On what basis do we allow people into our lives? Or on what basis do we shut people out of, shut people out of our lives? How do we decide who's in and who's out in our social circles? Better yet, who's worthy of our acceptance and why? We can blame culture to a degree. You know, when I was coming up, it was radio and television. You know, today it's, it's, it's those things and social media and a whole, ho a whole host of other things. And we can blame those things all day long. And to some degree, they are certainly responsible. But at the end of the day, parents and grandparents, great-grandparents, where are children most influenced by? Who are children? Who and where? Home. Y'all know that. We know. We all know that. What do we act like at home when nobody's looking? What do we talk about at home when nobody's looking except those folks who live in the house with us? How do we talk about people? How do we view other people outside of our home? What are our children hearing us say? Better yet, why are we even saying these things? It's a condition of our heart. How do we value other people? And how our children value other people is certainly, to a degree, a reflection of how we value and how they see us valuing them. We are children of God. And just as such, just as we find our own foundation, we found our own value, our own worth, in that identity as people who have been created in the image of God, so too we find the value of other people. Secondly, I want to point out to you verse uh, second and three. It's two and three, verse two and three. Read that to you real quick because uh, in verse two and three, he goes on. Here's some more encouragement. John goes on to encourage us in the knowledge that through faith we are indeed going through Christ's likeness. Starting in verse two, dear friends, here's some more confusing language for you. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know is that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall, so we, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves. Key verse. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves because we are pure. I would underline that word hope, and I would underline that word purify. All of those who hope are purified. We are reminded again in 2 and 3, first of all, about our identities. Um, but secondly... We are reminded that we have the assurance that if we simply remain grounded in our faith in Jesus, we will be like Him. We will be like Him. Now, this particular verse is talking about when Christ returns, which will certainly bring us all uh, to, our, to our most heightened state of glory, if you will. But this isn't, isn't just something that happens when Christ returns, and it's not just something that happens when we die. This is something that can and does happen right now. We are becoming sanctified if what? Just as the scripture says, if we remain grounded in our faith in Jesus Christ. We talk about sanctification a lot here. We talk about growing in Christ's likeness, being conformed uh, to the mind and the heart of God, as Paul talks about. Y'all know that I believe wholeheartedly that's, my, that's our purpose as Christians on earth is to be made and to allow God to form us in our hearts and our minds more and more and more and more into the image, the mind, and the heart of Christ. Well, that's what these scriptures say. If we'll simply stay grounded in that faith in Jesus, this is exactly what happens to us and will happen to us. We're constantly, constantly growing in that Christ-likeness. 
we learn, we learn to, number one, we learn how to submit to God. How do, how do you do this, Jerry? How do you, how do you grow in Christ, Christ's likeness and, and, you know, simply through this faith? Well, we learn how to submit to God. And again, something we talked about probably dozens of times at this point. We learn how to submit our will, our thoughts, our hearts, our actions to the will of God. Oftentimes we do know what the will of God is. We just don't want to do it. And God gives us that ability. This is, that's the whole idea of free will that we talk about very, very frequently. So it's learning how to submit. How do I submit, Jerry? I don't know. I can't tell you. I wish I could tell you. Because when I have reached these, po these points of submission in my life, my life has always, 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 always changed. It's brought about some kind of spiritual growth, but I can't tell you how to learn to submit. I can tell you what it looks like. I can tell you ways to learn. I can tell you that one way that we learn how to do this is simply by allowing the Bible to inform us, allowing Scripture to inform us, allowing Jesus and the, the example of Jesus to inform us and to change us. That's certainly one way that it works. That's certainly one way that we learn to, uh, to live into submission to God and as such, as a result rather, grow in that Christ-likeness. Simply through faith. Finally, I want to look at that difficult passage in 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. That's the part that disturbs us, right? No one, in who, no one who lives in Him keeps sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or know Him. That's, that's got to shake us up a little bit, right? What? You know, if I'm sinning, does that mean I'm not saved? And, you know, I'm sure that, that, that produces those kind of questions. Well, the reason I read the message translation to you is because I think the message translation clarifies that a little bit better. And I'm going to let you guys go back yourselves and read that one if you'd like to. Here's the thing. Make no mistake about this. There's not a person in this room right now who does not sin. Sorry. I'm sorry if you think better of yourself. You shouldn't. There's not a person in this room... Who does not sin to some degree? Can you possibly imagine? Can y'all possibly imagine what our brothers and sisters in this room would think of us if they could look into our minds and our hearts sometimes? What would people think about us then? Let's be honest, at least with ourselves, we know we sin. Sometimes it may be outwardly. But I'm not talking about the outward stuff right now. We know at bare minimum we're sin, we sin frequently in our hearts and our minds. All of us do. John tells us right here in this same book, um, back in chapter 1 actually. I'll, I'll read it real quick. Chapter 1 verses 8 and 10. John writes this. He says, if we claim that we are without sin, we, number one, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Secondly, in verse 10, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and His Word is not in us. Make no mistake, folks. We sin. Don't ever, con don't ever, don't ever convince yourself that that, is not a, that that is not a reality for each and every one of us. It is an inescapable fact that we sin to some degree or another. A couple things, though. Number one, like we discussed on Easter Sunday, Jesus, to a great degree, fixed our sin problem. To a great degree, Jesus 
fixed our sin problem because God knew that we were incapable of not sinning. God knew that we could not do this. He tried. Read the Old Testament. He tried covenant after covenant after covenant. We can't keep the law. We can't keep the commandments of God in and of ourselves. So what did God do? He came up with this incredible plan. Jesus Christ came to earth, fully man, fully God, fully divine, allowed himself to be killed and was resurrected. He fixed our sin problem. He fixed our relationship problem with God, our separation problem from God. To a great degree, we are justified. Again, we can have that relationship because of what Christ has done. It goes back to that word that we talked about in the beginning. Faith. Staying grounded in that faith. In that relationship with God. Through what Christ has done for us. Secondly, God also continues to forgive us. He continues to forgive us. I just read to you chapter 1 of 1 John verses 8 and 10. Well lodged. Right there between 8 and 10 is verse 9, which tells us also that God continues to forgive our sin. If we confess our sin, verse 9 says, He is faithful and He is just, and He will forgive our sins and He will purify us from all unrighteousness. God forgives us. God forgives us again and again and again and again and again every time we go to Him. It doesn't matter how bad of something we've done. It doesn't matter how often we've done something. God's just waiting for us. He's just waiting, loving us, waiting for us with open arms. He forgives us time and time and time again. We can be assured of that forgiveness as Christians. Here's the thing, though. And here's the thing about, let me double check myself, about this confusing language. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. We all sin, as we just said. Let me reread, because I want to drive this home. Let me reread the message translation of that one. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. That should clarify that a little bit, make it, make it make a little bit more sense to us. That key word is practice. There is, no one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. No one, none of those who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They got it all backwards. We all sin. We all sin. We should not enjoy it. Okay? That's the difference. The difference is where is my heart and my mind gauged. Where, where, what kind, where am I inclined? Am I, do, am I inclined towards the light that we talked about when we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount early this year, or am I inclined more towards the darkness? Am I inclined more towards sin, or I, am I inclined more towards Jesus? Am I inclined more towards evil, <laughs> or am I inclined more towards good? We should not have a desire. To sin. That should be for the most part removed from us if we're walking in that faith, if we're walking in that faith in Jesus Christ. Truly. And this is a way that we can gauge ourselves. This is a way that we can, we can gauge our walk with Jesus. It's a way we can gauge our salvation, to be honest with you. Where am I? What am I inclined to do? Am I enjoying 
my sin? If so, I'm probably off somewhere, and I probably need to go to God and, and, and have, evaluate myself, for one thing, but also go to God and see what's going on. Let Him, let, let him work with me a little bit. Uh, I want to read one more scripture to you, because I think this one scripture just kind of sums up the entirety of uh, the stuff that we're talking about, for one thing, but also what I would call the entirety of the gospel. And y'all know I, I love using that term a lot, the gospel. Y'all know that I think the, the gospel is, is huge. I think it, it, it extends far beyond forgiveness and getting into heaven when we die. I've probably worn you guys out talking about that. But there's one verse right here in 1 John that just absolutely encapsulates, encompasses everything about Christianity. If I could sum up Christianity in one verse, it's right here in 1 John 3, verse 23. 1 John 3, verse 23. I want to make sure I get it right. And I will wrap up. This is His command. To believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as He has commanded us. If you want to know what Christianity is, when in what, ten words, nine words? That's it. That's Christianity. Believe in Jesus and love as He has commanded. Christianity is simple. Christianity is a simple, simple, simple religion. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not an easy one. It's not easy to love everybody. It's not easy to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's simple. It's simple. And it encompasses so many of these things that we talked about, y'all. Ground yourself in the knowledge that we are, we are all beloved children of God. Ground yourself, ground your identity, your worth, your value, and your dignity in that. Ground other people's worth, value, dignity in the fact that they too are children of God. Remain in that faith. Walk in the simple faith that Christ is who He said He is. Allow Him to form you. Allow Him to grow you into Christ-likeness. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for your messages, for your scripture. God, thank you for your love. We appreciate each and every person that's in this room this morning. We appreciate every family that's represented. We ask you, God, that you would grow us closer to you, closer to one another, for your glory and for the good of every life that we touch. In Christ's name, amen.